It's fall. Yes, officially tomorrow. So we're not on till tomorrow? <laughs> this is our run. It's our dry run. Our dry run? Oh, so anything can happen because this doesn't count. Yeah, That's let's go good for news. It. I've been wanting one session like that off the record. Here it is. <laughs> so we can talk about all the things that I don't dare talk about. Let's do it. Okay. Kay. You go first. <laughs> All done. <laughs> Actually, don't get me started. So, <laughs> Dave, that's not. Oh, we've got time. Oh, no, we don't. <laughs> yeah, don't get hurt. We go out there and we get, go. We go deep, real fast. Yeah, that's good. You know, um, this is such an exciting time in science. Uh, what would you do if you had twenty billion dollars and you love science? Donate to you. billion <laughs> dollars. You do an experiment, right? That's right. Yeah. What if we all put all of our money together and did this giant, giant science fair project and called it the James Webb Telescope? <laughs> That's what it is. So the Hubble Telescope, which has been out with its new seeing glasses, you know, we learned about that last time. But it's made so many remarkable discoveries. And Tobias was telling us a little bit about why you need a bigger lens or a bigger mirror on a, mm -hmm. on a telescope. And it turns out that uh, you can make an eyepiece that is low power, medium power, high power. And what that means is it magnifies the image. But when you magnify an image, you have the same amount of light, but it's spread over that whole big distance. So as you magnify it, everything gets dimmer. And so if you want to see something at high magnification, you have to collect a lot of light. So if you have a big reflector that's taking all of the light that hits this whole big circle and sends it back to one central eyepiece, then it's many, many, many times brighter and you can see a lot more. Well. When telescopes started pointing up towards heaven, they could see things, but no matter what they did, no matter how perfect the lenses, the mirrors, and everything were, the image was always kind of smudgy. It was like looking out a window through dirt and smudge. So you could see, but not very good. And so they eventually figured out, ah, oh, it's the atmosphere, it's the air above us. We're looking through it and it's messing up the image. Now the stars come shining through the atmosphere and you can see them pretty good, right? But you can't see them perfectly. If you go out at night, if you don't have too many mountains and mm -hmm. catch the sun just as it's going down, it gets down really low and it goes from the bright, shiny, almost white sun to a real orange dim sun mm -hmm. and it's the same sun is shining the same brightness except 
that light is traveling through the atmosphere for a long distance. The atmosphere of the Earth is not very thick. But when you look at it sideways, then the sun's coming through a long ways, and it, it dissipates the light and changes it so that we get that dim light in, in different color. Well, that's what the atmosphere is always doing. So some scientists studied what is the atmosphere doing to the, to the telescope, and so they shot a laser beam. Here's the, here's the telescope, and they shot a laser out and they monitored what happened to the laser and they found that the atmosphere would make these changes. And so, as a very clever idea, they came up with a mirror that's reflecting the light from space back to the eyepiece and they broke it up into several little mirrors and they put little motors on them so that whatever the laser beam said the atmosphere is doing, they would adjust the mirrors to correct for it. And when they did that, the images became much, much better. And so we were able to see things far, far away. When I was a young student, I was very excited about a telescope near Los Angeles on top of Mount Palomar. And I loved it because it was the biggest telescope in the world. It had a 100-inch <laughs> mirror, which was huge. And that was the telescope where a famous astronomer named Hubble mm -hmm. made his discovery that said there are so many more galaxies out there than we ever thought. He, with that big telescope, he gathered so much light that he could amplify it more and he could see farther out than we'd ever done. And, and he was just astonished that in between stars where it was dark, if you amplify it, you see more galaxies are just farther away. And his discoveries uh, taught us a lot of things. One of the things that he found out is that these new galaxies, which were so far away, had different intensities of the color red. The light became more and more red depending on how far these galaxies were away. And it turned out that the red was because the light was being shifted by the velocity of the galaxy. Or the and so these galaxies were accelerating away. And they were going faster and faster. If you have a, a car and it's going down the freeway at 70 miles per hour, and all of a sudden you want it to speed up, you have to get a force to push it, don't you? You have to push the gas pedal which makes cars go faster because it burns gasoline faster and gives you more energy. Well, if you want galaxies to go faster, you're going to have to have a lot of energy to make them go. So his discoveries woke up a lot of things in science and tried to figure out what does that mean? And where does the energy come from that's making these galaxies go faster and faster and faster? And they couldn't find it. The amount of energy you need is so great, they said, wow. It must be an energy we can't see. So they called it dark energy. And it turns out they would need more dark energy than all the visible energy from all the stars and all the galaxies in the universe. So Hubble became famous, and they named the Space Telescope after him. Remember the one that we launched down in space 
We learned about how we should have used the Kodak mirror. <laughs> we had to put glasses on it. We got it working. Very clever guy in the shower figured it out. Remember that? <laughs> That's right. And then <clears throat> we had the most remarkable pictures we'd ever seen. And they pointed the Hubble telescope at a place in space that they thought was the darkest place. It was between all, all the stars. One little spot that was really dark. There's nothing there. So they pointed it there, and they did an exposure, not for a minute, but I believe it was for days. And they got images back, and what did they see farther out than we'd ever seen before? More galaxies. They were older. They were, every time you see them farther away, it was like another big step. And so we had to rethink a lot of things about science because of Hubble. Now you have to think about events in space. Space is so big, it's like you have to get your head around it. You know what I'm saying? Can you do okay, that again? So, no, no, no. But this, this is really interesting. Let's suppose that uh, Elon Musk, and this is just a thought experiment, okay? So okay. go with me. Let's suppose that Elon Musk decided to make a company called SpaceX. And let's just pretend that he okay. made a rocket okay. and that he fired the rocket up into, into space. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Now, I don't know, but I think that's something that really happened. It's real. Okay, it's real. <laughs> oh. But when that rocket took off, there was light from the rocket engine blowing out the fire in the back so the rocket would go up. And that light went shooting out into space. Now, let's say that we choose his rocket that he sent two years ago. Let's choose that one to talk about. So it was two years ago he launched it. There was fire coming out the back. It went shooting out of space. It was at night. I made that up. And there was lots of light, and the light went out into space. <clears throat> so now, if we put on our Roadrunner shoes, we could fly out into space faster than light because that light that went shooting out from his rocket is still going. It's just going out towards the stars. And we could catch up with it if we had really good shoes. And when we caught up with that light, we could get up there. And what if we ran past the light a little ways and we look back at the rocket? And there's the rocket sitting on the launch pad. It hasn't even launched yet. And so we slow down there and we watch the light going by and we see them getting ready and then we see it firing and launching. And we see it launch because the image of the rocket launching is just going through space. We say, you know, that was so neat. Let's, let's go watch it again. So we get our shoes and we go out a little further <laughs> and we wait for that moment to come by. And it ha can you understand what I'm saying? So light is going at 186,000 per second. It's really fast, but we have such good shoes, we can get ahead of it. Now, actually, those shoes haven't been invented yet. Uh, even though there is a thing called warp bubbles that may be getting us in that direction. Remember on Star, uh, Star Trek, you could go at warp speed? Mm -hmm. 
Warp speed was the speed of light, and they, their spaceship would go as fast as light. And it could even go warp two, twice the speed of light. Warp 10, warp drive. Well, there's now some interesting theories being done about a thing called a warp bubble, where we think that someday we may be able to actually travel faster than the speed of light by warping space. Well, anyway, that's another story. But this thought that light from that launch is still going out. And while I've been talking, can you imagine how far that's gone? Light really travels. I've been talking for about four minutes. And so it's gone a lot further, so we'd have to go out further to see it. Well, we may not be able to run fast enough to catch that light, but guess what? There are stars out there that are still waiting for it to come. Can you imagine people in bleachers on Rigel, a planet around Rigel, popcorn, waiting to see the, the launch is going to happen. I would do that. In about <laughs> another 2,000 years. That'd be so neat 2,000 light years. You know, we're, we're talking about distances of trillions of miles. These galaxies are away. And they're still waiting to see that. And so it, isn't it interesting that that moment is going to hit different stars at different times? And if they have a big enough lens to catch enough light to magnify it and see it, they'll, they'll see, you know, Musk out there being kind of nervous and excited <laughs> and, uh, was, yeah. and very successful. They'll probably watch the part where his boosters land on the boat. Oh, yes. That'll be really cool. Mm -hmm. Well... We can't go out there, but what we can do is we can come here. And we can look out there at a light coming towards us. And if we find a place that is one light year away, one light year away, we can look at it tonight and see what happened a year ago. Because what happened a year ago was light that started coming towards us took a year to get here. So we can see what happened a year ago. And these galaxies are not just one light year away. They're galaxies that are like 100 light years away. Now that's kind of exciting. We can see what happened 100 years ago. We can see what was happening on a star at the same time that they signed the Declaration of Independence. That would be neat. We could see what happened 2,000 years ago. We could see what happened 10,000 years ago. And the thing is, the farther away it is, then the light we're seeing started its journey longer ago. It gets a little dimmer because it came so far. You see, as the light goes, it's got to light up a spot this big and then bigger as it goes, so it gets dimmer and dimmer. Well, Hubble allowed us to see galaxies farther away than mankind had ever been able to see before. And we learned a lot. We're still trying to understand everything we learned from the Hubble images. So then they made the James Webb Telescope. Europe, Canada, and us. We built it. We shipped it out in space. And it has a reflector, a mirror, 10 times as big as the Hubble. It's so big that we couldn't put the mirror in the rocket. So they broke it into pieces, and they made it assemble itself in space. 
And they also looked at radio wave lengths. And they put these big shields to go between the telescope and the sun so it wouldn't interfere. We'd get really good images. And we put it in an orbit way, way out there. It goes around kind of with the Earth, but it's, it's a million miles away. If it has a need for glasses, we're out of luck. It's too far away. <laughs> Thank goodness it didn't. So it deployed, the mirror went together, and it started sending pictures. And one of the things they did was they pointed it deep, 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 deep into a dark place in space where not even the Hubble could see anything. And the James Webb could see something. And it saw galaxies that are so far away that took so much longer for the light to get here. It was 14 billion years ago that light started its journey. And some of the early conclusions made just, just these last several weeks were that the light had started its journey before the Big Bang that created the universe. And that created an enormous controversy in science because nothing can be there before the Big Bang, and yet this was. What does that mean? Now, quite often when we get early experimental data, it's hard to know what it all means. And, and a lot of the scientists looking at it now believe it's not older than the Big Bang. Many are saying that it's about 200 million years after the Big Bang. And in astronomical terms, that means, wow, it was right after the Big Bang. One thing is, though, this is the oldest spot of light, oldest in time, mankind has ever seen. Wow. And it's really going to create some interesting new opportunities for us to understand our universe. Now, I personally don't know if the guys were right that said this was before the Big Bang, or the guys were right and said, no, it wasn't, it was after, it had to be after. I don't care. <laughs> I just know that what it actually is, is what it is. When I'm doing science, I like to have a hypothesis. I like to have it figured out. I like to do it, and then it works out just like I thought. But rarely does it work the way you think. Mm -hmm. And I do experiments, not to prove I'm right, but to find out what is right. Science, to many of us, to me and many that think like I do, science is the search for truth not the way of proving that I'm right. And so whether it is or it isn't, it's going to teach us a lot. And we're going to find out a lot of things. But you know, it does give me uh, an opportunity to think about some really far out things. And when I started reading about it, the first headline I saw, the Big Bang never banged. <laughs> what? <laughs> How do you have a bang without a bang? <laughs> But uh, I started thinking about a lot of different things that I've been studying personally for over 20 years.
um, sometime last year, I, I had one of those days where I started talking about my ideas about black holes. And I, I said something that um, I think probably caused a lot of wonderful scientists to say, what, what? But it was about black holes, and it was about how matter that goes in the, in the proximity of a black hole gets sucked in and can't get out. And I had some ideas that I think are are interesting, and I have I have some reasons for my ideas. Uh, and over the next few years, I'll probably be publishing quite a bit of those ideas. But uh, they're really different. They're really different. So everybody remember what a black hole is? What is a black hole? Well, if you dig a hole deep, deep enough, it's black, right? <laughs> no. A black hole is a... Uh, a condition, a place, a, a thing in, in the universe that has very interesting properties. There's a couple ways that black holes can form. One of the best ones for us to talk about is a burnout star. A star is a, a ball of fire, only it's a special fire, a nuclear fire, very hot, 100 million degrees in the core, for example. and this is powered by a reaction of hydrogen atoms being squoused together and transformed into helium atoms, with the end result being a little bit lighter than the two hydrogens, and the matter that's lost is converted into energy. And so it gives off a tremendous amount of energy, like a hydrogen bomb, in fact, it's the very same energy according to the formula of Einstein of E, the energy is equal to M, the speed of light squared. It's a lot of energy. Well, when a star is burning, it's going off all that heat, and there it is, and it's gradually transforming itself, but eventually, all of the hydrogen in the star is used up. And if you're ever gonna make a black hole, you need to have a star bigger than our sun. Our sun's not quite big enough in size to get the gravity it needs to become a black hole, but there are many stars that are. And as it uses up all the helium fuel, then it goes into another state where the helium reacts with carbon and so forth. Eventually, it's all burnt out, and then it doesn't give off energy anymore. It starts to cool down. It has all of that mass and as it cools down, the atoms move closer together. And as they move closer together, it becomes more dense and starts to create very strong gravity around it. Now, you need to remember that gravity is not a force. Gravity is a warpage of time and space. But as it does, just think of it as a little ball that's getting smaller. And and if you can think of a ball the size you could hold in your hand, but having the weight of a giant star, and a gravity so strong that not only will attract other matter, but it will even attract light. It'll pull light in. So light going by a black hole gets sucked into it because there's this intense gravity pulling things in. 
All right? So that's black hole. We all know about that, don't we? And we postulated black holes from Einstein's uh, equations. Then later we discovered scientific proof from space, especially with Hubble, of the existence of black holes. And we found out they're all over. There's, uh, we think, over a million in the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, most, many astronomers now think there's a supermassive black hole in the center of every galaxy. And some think those supermassive black holes are necessary for the galaxy and they were probably created in the early stages of when the galaxy was forming. There's a lot of stuff we can talk about. But today I want to talk about something else. So a black hole is a place, a, is, think of it as a point that is very high gravity that anything that gets close to it gets sucked in. And the, there's a boundary where if you get to that thing, you're going to get sucked in, even if your rocket engines try to propel you away. You're going in. It's called the event horizon. Sounds like Elon Musk probably called not someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's for you. <laughs> Tell them to call back later. All right. I got to say that one more time. A black hole. Everything gets sucked in. Nothing can get out because the gravity is so great, nothing can escape. But what I want to talk about is a white hole. White hole. A white hole. You've heard of black hole. I want to talk about a white hole. And one of the things that's really on my mind these last little while is a white hole. Now, in my Billings model that I shared a little bit of a year ago, and by the way, we had 14 and a half million people watch that discussion. Um, I said that I believe that hydrogen is turned into helium and gives off energy, but I also believe that the process involving a black hole gathers the light, brings it back in to the helium, and converts it back into hydrogen. And a lot of people said, well, how could you do that? If the light and the matter gets pulled into a black hole, there's no way it can ever get out. The gravity is so great, it can never escape. So how could it become hydrogen and be used to make a new star? Well, a few months ago, there's a picture from the Hubble that kind of looks like there is a birth of stars coming from a black hole, which, hmm, that kind of is interesting. But a white hole is exactly the opposite of a black hole. A white hole is a hole that you cannot enter into. It doesn't let anything in, but it spews stuff out. And we don't know too much about white holes, but we're starting to learn more and more. They're possible under Einstein's equations. They've been theorized for a long time. And now most of the, I won't say most, many at least of the scientific community are starting to realize they really do exist. Some people think they're associated somehow with black holes. Um, the, the model for making a white hole seems to fit more like the, the black holes that were created right after the Big Bang when things are settling down. But here's the interesting thing. 
if there's something inside there, let, let, let's just say, what if, and I don't want to get into this part, but what if a black hole could be associated with a white hole? And I think a lot of the people studying these would say there's a lot of theories about how that's done. What if you gather up all of this matter, which is stuff like helium and, and whatever else got sucked in and light and all of that, and then from that intense gravity, the black hole tra was transformed into a white hole or connected with a white hole, and it ejected that material. How would it come out? Would it come out as helium or hydrogen? No, it comes out exactly like the plasma that was created by the Big Bang. In fact, some people are now saying that white holes, <laughs> when they give out material, is like a Big Bang. And so that material comes out in this plasma, eventually cools down and condenses into hydrogen. And that's where all the hydrogen came from that's in all the stars. Now I have, I have a lot of pieces that I've kind of been trying to bolt together in, in understanding the universe. But what I want to say is that I think this is one of the most exciting times in the history of science because of this monster telescope out there. And finally, we're able to see clear to the edge. If the Big Bang took place 14.8 million or a billion years ago, and if we can see light that far out, I mean, we're even the skeptics, I mean, the you know, the most pessimistic <laughs> on the subject say that these galaxies are clear back to 200 million light years after the Big Bang, that's 14.6 billion years ago, then we're seeing to the edge of our universe. And there are a lot of very, very interesting things that need to happen. We're starting to get more and more data to suggest that um, this Earth maybe is a lot more significant in the big scheme of things than many of science ever thought. Um, out of everything we can find in space, we're looking. We have spaceships, we have telescopes all looking for life on Mars, on anywhere. But out of everywhere we've been able to look so far, I haven't seen anything that's even remotely like this planet. When Hubble was looking at the expansion of the universe, all these galaxies were all going away, and you could, by simple physics, calculate back to where they all started, and according to the calculations, it all started right here at Earth. And Hubble said, heaven forbid, that can't be, that can't be, that can't be. And so, fortunately, another guy came along with a theory that no matter where you're at, when you look at these galaxies going away, it looks like they all left from right where you are. Well, okay, I, I tried to follow his theory, and, and I can't yet, but it's okay. Uh, a lot of things I don't understand yet. But what if he's wrong? What if the data is absolutely correct? What if the Earth is the center of this expansion? 
What would that mean? What can we learn from it? Every time we understand truth, we're empowered to do things. And truth is, is what really happened, not what we think might have. And I just think that's really, really interesting. And I think James Webb is going to give me some data to be able to do some calculations to be able to come up with some stunning conclusions that I'm hypothesizing might really be true. In fact, we have a wonderful physicist, and yesterday I put him on doing these calculations if we can get the data from the James Webb Telescope. So this is a time when we get to see farther than we've ever seen before. Uh, think of it as of living in a little house that's just one room, and it has no doors, and it has no windows, so no light gets in, and you just live in this little room, and you have no idea what's going on outside. And you sit and think, I wonder what it's like outside. Well, in a way... We are in that little dark room, and James Webb is a window that lets us see out into a universe more than we've ever seen before. And it's real interesting because it lets us see out at the edge of the expanding universe based on the age that we've calculated the Big Bang to take place. And I think we're going to see some really, really marvelous uh, inventions and things come to pass because of this. So uh, think about it. We'll, we'll talk some more later. But black holes, white holes, where do they come from? Why are there so many? Uh, what does it all mean? Uh, some of you probably been following Betelgeuse. <laughs> I remember when I was learning my constellations as a Boy Scout, and I got to the to Orion. The three stars on the belt of Orion, which I love to see in the in the winter sky. Just, it's a neat constellation. Some people point out those two stars that are almost straight but not quite perfectly aligned to the position of the three great pyramids in, in Egypt. Mm -hmm. So it's a fun constellation. But up on the shoulder of Orion, there is a star that's been very bright, but it's a little bit reddish, and it's called Betelgeuse. And Betelgeuse, mysteriously, since COVID struck, started going dim. Now you gotta realize, Betelgeuse is a long ways away. So we cannot blame this on COVID because we're seeing what happened a long time ago. But something's happening and Betelgeuse got very dim. And so everyone started watching it and they're thinking that it's getting ready for a supernova explosion. And if that's true, that'll be a very interesting thing to watch. Uh, we live in such an exciting time because our eyes are magnificent, but they can only see the wavelength we see, and we can only see to the magnification that we see. And so we have learned how to magnify our power and ability. A few years ago, uh, I owned a little airport, the Independence Missouri Airport, just a small one, private one. 
and some people came to me and said, we want to rent your field over there for an auction. And you know, you, you pay me money to use my land? How long you need? One week. Okay. <laughs> so we signed a contract and they had a heavy equipment auction. And people brought all of these big machines, bulldozers, road graders, everything over and lined them up on my property. And then people came from all over and they started buying these machines. So far, so good. But since they were having so much fun over there, I decided to go see what was going on. <laughs> so I'm over there looking and, and you know, give me this, and so I raised my hand. Oh. And it sold. I bought myself a D8 bulldozer. <laughs> Did you want one? I'd never been on a bulldozer before, didn't know much about it. But the thing that really impressed me is it's big. You know how they have these little blades on the front of a bulldozer and they push dirt? Well, I was standing by this bulldozer and the blade was taller than I am. That really impressed me. So I bought it and after the auction, I went and climbed on it and I thought, okay, I'm going to do something with this. So I had it moved over to where I needed some work done. I needed to dig a little pond. To start the bulldozer, you had to start a car engine. <laughs> when the car engine was started, that was enough power to start the big engine. They call it a pony motor. And when the big engine would start, that thing was so powerful. And then I'd get on there and I learned how to run the controls, lower the braid down, and I pushed more dirt in one minute than I could have shoveled in 10 years. It was just amazing, the power and the mass. And I stopped and I thought, wow, my strength is impressive. It is. Thank you. Thank you. My strength is impressive, but because of the minds and the science and the brains of many people that all went together in building this machine. My strength pulled the controls, was able to do things a thousand times more powerful than I could have done before. And that is the beauty of technology. That is the wonder of inventioneering. We can do things that really are not possible but they are possible by pulling together, observing, studying science, creating hypotheses, finding out which ones are true, molding them together. And sometimes it takes a good trip, like Mr. Goodyear and fell in the fire and his stuff got <laughs> vulcanized. Sometimes it takes a lucky break to find out the secret. Rubber's changed our world. I just think that everybody while they're going through school and all of these thousands of years of knowledge has been accumulated and it's being served to us like a feast. Everyone needs to realize how precious this knowledge is and what you can do with it, what you're going to be able to do with it. And now we're in a time where we're going to see things that could never have even been imagined. Before Hubble telescope, we didn't even know enough to even imagine this. Before Mount Polymer, 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 mm -hmm. yeah, 
Palmer. There was, the universe was not nearly considered to be so big. So study hard, master these things. You're going to be empowered to move more dirt than you ever dreamed. <laughs> there is knowledge and power in everything you're learning. Thank you.